What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We are back in action after our last episode with former Rockies GM and current MLB Network analyst Dan O'Dowd. That was a really awesome conversation. A lot about his time uh, as a general manager, but also assessing what's going on in the league right now, and also a little bit of life stuff, a little bit about his Christian faith. It was a great conversation. Uh, go back and check that one out if you missed it. If you guys like what you hear on this show, make sure you subscribe to Jack Vita Show here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Hit subscribe. We have an excellent guest today joining us. She is a baseball wag, wife and girlfriend. Well, I guess fiance doesn't fit the wag acronym. Are, do you fit in the wag category? <laughs> So kind of interesting topic, right? The whole WAG topic over here. And I will throw out that a guilty pleasure of mine before starting to date Ryan, I used <laughs> to love the TV show WAGs. Um, and I will say the life is not what they portray it to be on that TV <laughs> show. So we'll start off there um, with all the drama and the craziness and being on like Yas every other day and buying like Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Like it's <laughs> not realistic, but I understand it's a TV show. Um, wife and girlfriend could, it fits all of the things, right? Like technically I'm in the middle right now as a fiance, but I think it still fits the whole WAG acronym, I believe, but that's a good yeah. question. Could it be WAGAF? <laughs> WAGAF, right? <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle because we are obviously engaged and we get married this upcoming off season. All right. Very exciting. So she is the fiance to a professional baseball player who played in the major leagues. Now he's in indie league. His name is Ryan Dull, and her name is Brittany Baldy. She competed on MTV's The Challenge. She also competed on Are You the One on MTV. And in addition to that, now she's working in indie league as the High Point Rockers MC. She does a lot of cool stuff over there. So we say hello to Brittany Baldy. Also, oh, by the way host of the Boss Babes podcast, too. How are you doing, Brittany? Well, first off, Jack, thank you for so much. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I know you and I have been DMing each other back yeah. and forth um, through Instagram. And I know that my good friend, Jess McCain France, was the one that put me onto your show and the podcast. And she was like, you'd be an excellent guest. You should go on. Um, for those of you guys that are listening, Jess and I have been friends for close to a decade now. Wow. Her husband also plays professional baseball. He's with the or within the Houston Astros organization. And Ryan and I both attended their wedding um, a couple of years ago. So shout out to Jess. They actually have a baby on the way. Um, and Jess and JP, I believe, will be attending our wedding, which is exciting. That's so exciting. And Jess is an absolute sweetheart. She's great. We did this really amazing conversation. It was almost two hours long. It was a couple months ago. And we talked so much about her baseball life, her faith, her time on reality TV, just all kinds of just random topics. It was great. Um, that was one of the most popular episodes we had. So when she recommended me to speak to you, I was like, all right, well, this one's going to be another. This is going to be a great one, too. Yeah, we both have similar lives in the sense that we both travel a lot. Again, both of our guys play professional sports. We both kind of have this extended TV career ourselves. So one of the biggest things going off of the whole WAG topic, I have this theory that most professional baseball players either end up with a model or an actress, 
somebody else within the TV world, usually like another sports broadcaster or their high school sweetheart. Like there's <laughs> nothing usually on in the in between, right? Um, and JP and Jess fit that bill. I fit that bill. There's so many other wives and girlfriends that I have met over the years or simply just following social media. You can kind of see like who's been with their special person since they were younger, like um, Patrick Mahomes and his wife. Or also I could sit here and talk about like so many other wives and girlfriends like Gordon Hayward and his wife. They've been together since high school. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) it's interesting for sure you i thought you were gonna say or they were gonna be like barry bonds where they're married but they have a girlfriend in every other city like i thought that's where you're going with that (laughs) or or that that too right like and that was one of the big things i drilled that upon ryan when we first started dating i was like hey if you're gonna play these games where you're gonna have a girlfriend in every other state um i'm not really gonna be into that because again me being in tv as well you're kind of like put through the ringer with other people that are in the spotlight. And yes, it's so easy for people like ourselves to be dating multiple people at once, especially if you're traveling. But I will assure you, Ryan is definitely not like that. He's super into his faith, super loyal. Um, But that's funny that you bring up like Barry Bonds and other athletes that may or may not have wives, but also girlfriends on the side. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, let's not act like it's not a thing. It's definitely a thing, but there are great guys like Ryan in sports too. And that's unfortunate because, because there are some guys who don't do it right and they give the other ones a bad name. Oh, for sure. And that's widely talked about a lot in even sports media. And it's just one of those topics that it's almost like the media kind of makes it seem as if every professional athlete has 50 different girlfriends or all the different baby mamas. Um, like we could sit here and talk about like Tristan Thompson. Like you see the the media talk about him and and having like the different. I think Dwight Howard has. With like the moms and stuff and to each yeah. their own, right? Everybody has their own lifestyle, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think Dwight Howard has 10 or 11 baby mamas. Pretty, oh my gosh, really? Yeah, pretty 10 remarkable. or 11 baby mamas? Yeah. Oh my god. That's like at that point you're basically working to pay for all those kids. Yeah. You, yeah. Like how how are you even afford to purchase dinner at that point if you're paying <laughs> for all these kids? Antonio Cromartie, who used to be the corner on the Jets and the Chargers, he's another one. I think he had 8. Just like that's a lot. That's a lot. It's it, to have that many kids with one woman is a lot. Now, imagine having like eight different Thanksgiving dinners. Like, that's just wild. Well, not even just pro athletes, but if you want to sit here and talk about like Nick Cannon. And again, I have no No. problem talking about this stuff because it's widely talked about in the media. Nick Cannon, I think they just announced he's about to have baby number 10 or 11 with like number eight, nine or 10 different women, you know? So it's just, I don't know. It's bizarre. So it's, I don't want to sit here and just say it's just athletes. It's the common man, right? That's like your lawyer down the street or the doctor that has different girlfriends on their side or a couple different wives. It's, it's an athlete. It's your actor or actress. So I don't want to just pinhole or pigeonhole (laughs) athletes either, you know? Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly right about that. It is, it's a lifestyle that I don't believe is a good lifestyle, uh, but I mean, it is pretty prominent in a lot of places. But thankfully, 
neither of us are living that lifestyle. Uh, and you guys are getting ready to get married. So how did you and Ryan, Ryan Dole, we mentioned his name, how'd you guys meet? So Ryan and I kind of have an interesting backstory where, again, we kind of already brought up the fact that he plays professional baseball. Um, he started off his career within the Oakland Athletics Organization. And we kind of had similar friend groups up in the Boston area, which, again, that's where I'm from. Yep. Um, born and raised in Massachusetts. What high school did you go to? Uh, Methuen High School, actually. And one of my good friends is actually currently now a well-known UFC fighter, Calvin Cater. So shout oh, out to Calvin Cater. Sweet. Yeah, we went to high school together. I was actually um, his one of his wrestling managers up and coming in, in high school. So um, shout out to Methuen High. We've had a lot of great talent come out of our high school, even though it was a small high school. Um, but yeah, I grew up right in Massachusetts and Ryan had some friends that he played with from Mass who he's still good friends with now. Long story short, he went up to visit some of his friends in Massachusetts. Um, I was asked to go out that night to both a Celtics game and to go out and go to one of the new clubs that had just opened up um, at the Encore. It is a casino in Massachusetts. So Ryan and I just met each other, developed a friendship. He kind of like slid in my DMs a couple of weeks later. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the move just, these days, right? Yeah, sliding the DMs nowadays is is the way to do What's it. I the, guess. How do you do it? What's like the how do you how do you have successful sliding the DMs? Um, I don't even really remember because it was three years ago, but it was okay. something simple, just to the the effect of, hey, like I enjoyed meeting you a couple of weeks ago. Um, would you like to? take this further in the sense of like exchanging phone numbers. And then yeah. just beca because again, he's like a very gentleman. It wasn't yeah. like, Oh, show me nudes or anything like that. <laughs> like he's to be honest, since we've been dating, he's, he's not like that at all. Yeah. Um, very into his faith, very humble, mm -hmm. very gentleman like, um, which I appreciate. And I'm not just saying that because I'm doing a podcast, but that's just him as a person in general. So he was just very kind, very sweet. It was just like a, Hey, I enjoyed meeting you. Like, would you like to exchange numbers? Then I went ahead and reached out to one of his friends, mutual friends that we both have. And I was like, hey, is he a good person? Um, I know he lives in a different state. And then we kind of just developed a friendship over like a month or two. And then he invited me at the time. He was with the Toronto Blue Jays, invited me to his spring training. So I went, packed my bags, and two of my friends and I flew down to um, Dunedin, Florida. Um, I've been to that spring training complex before. Yeah, actually... <laughs> funny thing i never got to go to the training camp either because this was during the spring of 2020 so ah. yeah unfortunately i flew down there and it kind of happened in the sense that we thought we were gonna go to a ton of baseball games but covid hit all sports completely stopped like the day that i got there oh Jack, i'm gosh. telling you the That's day terrible. I landed, all of baseball stopped, so I never stepped foot into the uh, stadium that, that year. COVID was just – it was so terrible in that regard because I'll tell you a little something about me. So I actually had to have thyroid surgery a few years ago. Oh, uh, wow, really? 2019, yeah. I had Graves' disease, which was something that the, the summer before my senior year of college, so summer 2016, all of a sudden I just – I was totally healthy and I just got really sick. And – I was able to get through my senior year by God's grace. God gave me strength and I was able to get through that year. I come back home though. And I'm like, 
I have a resting heart rate of 140. I can't do anything. I can't work. I can't travel. So I was like a bag of bricks on the couch for a couple of years. Then I had thyroid surgery. Took me a year to recover from that. And I'm finally healthy, Brittany. Finally healthy. And then COVID shuts everything down. I'm like, okay, dang it. That ha- wow. I feel like everyone's got a story like that, don't they? Well, I'm glad that you're healthy. And I kind of want to talk to you about the Graves disease thing after because my grandmother actually suffers from that. Hmm. I don't know if you had the whole like where your eyes like itchy and like bulging out and that whole situation. So- so my eyes didn't look like they were bulging out. So I was very fortunate in that regard, but my eyes were bothering me nonstop. Like I was doing stuff where I'd spend a half hour laying in bed with like a cold uh, washcloth over my eyes, like ice cold. And that would relieve the pain that my eyes had. Well, I'm happy to hear that you are recovering and that you feel better. Um, but yeah, Recovered I like a lot now, of- by the way, totally healthy now. Praise God. I'd love to hear. Are you on like medicine now to help keep it at bay or how does that work? I feel like a lot of people have hormonal or thyroid situations going on, unfortunately. Was it like foods that you were eating or was it genetics or yeah, where did we, that stem from? We think it was genetic, although the one thing, and this is going to make me sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I had read after, the, after, after I got Graves, I was kind of curious as to like what's something that can cause this. And I actually had a cavity filling a month before that. I had like three cavities, got them filled, and then all of a sudden just started having thyroid problems. And that was something that other people have reported on, I suppose. Um, I've had some family members with some thyroid stuff, which is it it is really common, but it's more common to have Hashimoto's, which is an underactive thyroid than the overactive thyroid. So the underactive thyroid, what that does is you need to just take synthroid to speed up your thyroid and then you're good basically um slowing down your thyroid is a lot more difficult than speeding up your thyroid so a lot of people that have graves end up either having radiation treatment to have it um basically destroyed or they have surgery to have it removed so then they then they become underactive because they technically don't have a thyroid um and it's much easier to supplement that with Synthroid. And Synthroid's a great drug because it has zero side effects. Well, thank you for talking about it. I'm sure you might have talked about it on other podcasts, but I'm interested because, again, my grandmother suffers from it. And it's one of those things where you wonder if it is genetic, like, is it something that I need to be on the lookout for um, when I, as I start to age, you know? Um, but I guess going back to what we were talking about originally, yeah. 2020 <laughs> yeah. in the spring and baseball season, it was one of those things where all of us kind of got hit hard by different situations. In your case, unfortunately, the thyroid thing and for a lot of us losing our jobs and me thinking I'm going to spring training and then everything kind of just doesn't happen. Um, but it ended up working in our favor. I like yeah. to lightly joke around about it because... What happened was after Ryan essentially not being able to play baseball that summer, not just him, basically everybody in sports for that whole spring and summer and even going into the winter, we had so much free time and so much downtime that if it weren't for that whole 2020 like year and we'll have some silver lining with it, I don't think we'd be getting married because Mm. we had so much downtime together where if he was playing baseball, it would have just been us casually me flying out to go visit him or him while he's in Boston coming to visit me. Um, Because at the time I was also working for a professional uh, basketball 
team. I was with the Boston Celtics affiliate league. Um, and essentially the way things were lined up, we wouldn't have had that extended time together. So with 2020, long story short, I guess, with him not playing baseball, I ended up packing up my bags, packed up my dog. After about two months of us FaceTiming and texting, I was like, hey, like, there's probably not going to be a baseball season. Either we pull the trigger and we start hanging out, or I'm just going to put a pause on us talking because I don't want to have a text relationship. So he actually flew up to visit me. He spent time at, at my beach house that we used to have. We went to the Cape together. He spent like a week with my family, got to know everybody. Then I packed my bags, my dog, and I did like a 14-hour road trip, which I will never do again alone. <laughs> um, Was that the longest road trip you've ever done? Um, no, my longest road trip, which we could talk about when we get into our first AAA season, if you're interested, my longest road trip was cross country, but wow. this was my first road trip ever, Jack. And it was my first road trip doing it alone. And I will say Ryan at the time was a gentleman and was like, Hey, I'll fly up there and I'll drive down with you. And me being like from Boston, like a little tough person. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I could do it on my own. And I was kind of like choking on my own words as I'm driving through New York driving through Virginia, <laughs> sitting in traffic, not knowing where I am, freaked out at the truck stops, um, having my dog, it's like 80 degrees in the car, we're blasting the air condition, blasted LMFAO music, <laughs> got me through the whole 15-hour car ride. But um, essentially, I got to spend that whole summer with him. I packed my bags, moved down to North Carolina, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's how 2020 summer went. Wow. On a whim, on a whim. That's such a great story. And I do think that, like, you know, you mentioned that Ryan, it, faith is important to him and faith is very important to me. God works in mysterious ways. And that's a prime example of it. And so for me, it was like, okay, so I finally get healthy after four years of being feeling really crummy. And now I have to wait on the couch even longer. I was like, this stinks. I was like, or, or I could make something of it. So I built my website and I've done a lot more of this uh, independent content creation. And I know that I, I'm so glad that I have all this stuff now that I wouldn't have had back then. So I think a lot of people have good stories about how something bad was able to turn into something good. And you guys have something that turned into something great. Yeah, thank you. And same situation with me going virtual with my podcast to your point of 2020. Like I lost my job at the time I was working with the Boston Celtics organization. Um, their whole season, we were about to go into playoffs. I was ready to go into playoffs with them. 2020, the COVID situation hit. So I lost that job. Um, at the time, I was also working part-time as a news and sports reporter at a small local cable access station um, in Marlboro, Massachusetts, which shout out to them because it wasn't if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't know how to edit. I wouldn't know how to write my own scripts. Um, so any advice to people that are listening to this podcast, and I'm sure Jack has talked about it too, um, learn how to edit, learn how to create your own content. You'll never know how great you are at potentially creating your own brand and your own skill set if you don't just go out and do it. And I ended up having to not record my podcast live in a studio anymore because of COVID. So I took everything and made it virtual. So I learned about StreamYard, like you and I are recording right now. Shout out to StreamYard. I think it's a <laughs> great platform yeah, it is. Um, for people, especially that are just beginning um, podcasting and such. But I 
did everything on a whim, learned how to edit, learned how to create my own content. I had to learn how to make everything virtual because I was no longer in studio. I didn't have these sports events to attend anymore. Like at the beginning, I was actually going to sports charity events. So I was working alongside the Boston Bruins Foundation, working alongside the Red Sox, working alongside the Celtics. All of that was just gone. But through the madness, I was able to keep my podcast up and going. So it's good to hear that, Jack, you kind of did the same. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice to anyone who wants to get into this business, because that's one of the things that some people have told me as well, is a lot of people are going to wait for their opportunity to come up. And there's, it's like there are more people than there are opportunities in terms of working for somebody. And a lot of people are going to make excuses and be like, ah, they didn't give me a chance. I'm going to go do this other thing, whatever. That's it. And you know what? Maybe, maybe this isn't for you and you find something else you enjoy, then that's great. But if this is something that you want to do, just going and doing it independently and taking a shot and trying to connect with people. I mean, heck, if you're a nice person and you reach out to me on Twitter, I'll talk to you if you want to do this stuff. And I'm sure Brittany would interact with people like that and help people like that too. Um, now, obviously, if you're not very nice or respectful or, you know, if you if you rub me the wrong way, then maybe I'm not going to do that stuff. But for most people, you know, and there are a lot of people who have been so great that have helped me um, make connections. But doing this independent content stuff, not only do you get better at it, but it's legitimate stuff that you can put on your resume now. I mean, when I, I just got this new job at Sports Illustrated Fan Nation uh, running the Fastball website, um, our home for all baseball breaking news. And what happened was, I mean, when I when I was applying for jobs, I was like, hey, look at this. I mean, we got 87,000 page views last year in my first year with a website. And people are like, how did you do that? What? So you know how to do this. And honestly, Brittany, I think people like you and me who are doing this stuff on our own are better versed than people who don't know how to do the editing, the, um, all the web stuff, all this, all this other stuff. They might, they might only know how to write or they might only know how to talk, but having these other skills is going to serve you so well. And the great thing is anyone can just go out and do it. Like you could be 15 years old, have a dream to be a sports center anchor and just start a podcast tomorrow if you want. Yeah. And to your point, we live in a great day and age where you can follow people like yourself or myself and slide in those DMs and ask for words of encouragement or words of advice, which I get all the time. People asking, how did you start a podcast? How do you get in contact with people like Jack Vita or <laughs> if you're having Pedro Martinez on your podcast or whoever happens to be on your podcast, how are you making Have those you had Pedro on? I have never had Pedro on. Okay. I just threw that out there because yeah. I guess it's manifestation. Um, he was, <laughs> to this day, still my favorite pitcher to ever oh watch. I mean, I grew up in the day where the early 2000s Boston Red Sox were my team. That's so like you're talking about like Jason Veritek, Nomar Garcia, oh, yeah. that whole era of baseball, like when Roger Clemens was pitching for the Yankees, like Mariano Rivera, like that. I don't really watch baseball as much anymore because – I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm salty over these people like retiring and I get it. Everybody ages <laughs> and phases out, which I'm starting to get like that with the challenge, right? MTV's yeah. the challenge. A lot of my yeah. friends used to compete and now they're all starting to um, get older and have kids. But back to our original point where everybody this day and age can start their own podcast, create their own content, 
have social media platforms and anybody has the resources and the tools to kind of learn. And the biggest thing about this day and age too is to my point of 2020, right? In a time where I lost all my jobs, I was kind of scrambling, right? Because I was reliant on having a studio. I was reliant on working alongside the Boston Celtics. And now, and I'm sure you think this way too, whether I work for another professional sports team ever again for the rest of my life, it doesn't matter because I have this platform where I'm still going to be able to interview other wives and girlfriends, people like yourself, other professional athletes, because I'm building my own name, and my own brand. So even if I never work with another professional sports team or Sports Illustrated doesn't have a spot for me to work with them <laughs> or whatever the case may be, you can still create your own content and still get paid to do so if you're smart and you go out and get sponsors. So for anybody that's listening, I guess to sum this all up, don't be afraid to take a shot, create your own brand, find out what your niche is and just go for it. Because at the beginning, it might be a little bit of a struggle because you're you're learning and working through those things. But if you're if you're persistent, you will push through and make it through. And even if it's just a side hobby, started off as a side hobby. The first two years that I did my podcast, it wasn't paid, but I enjoyed doing it. And it was the hustle of learning how to do something on my own, um, being creative minded. Every time I got a new guest on my show and it gives me the chills talking about it, I was like, yes, I can't believe I got Boston Celtics and S. Cantor on my podcast. Wow, I can't That's believe awesome. I just got this NASCAR star on my show, female NASCAR racer. Wow, I can't believe I just got so-and-so on my podcast. So it was kind of like, I knew that the universe and God was pointing me in the right direction when I was getting turned down by different jobs because they didn't have openings. But I was having these big name athletes saying yes to coming on my podcast that at the time had like two views. So people, <laughs> best advice is just go for it. Just go for it. And Brittany, you mentioned something I think is really interesting about this content creation stuff. I think this is the future of what the media is going to look like. I think that, and not to create a, a whole conversation about it, but who did Aaron Rodgers just want to talk to for three hours a week ago? Joe Rogan. He wanted to get, he wanted to share all of his thoughts with Joe Rogan, who is essentially the replacement media. He gets 10 to 12 million on every podcast. And there were a lot of reporters that he doesn't want to talk to anymore after the way that he feels that he was covered. Now you could argue if they, you think they were right or wrong, but Joe Rogan is someone who's going to let people come on and speak fairly and openly. And I think people like you and me have an opportunity to give people a voice and a, a chance to really talk rather than try to force a narrative or cherry pick a few quotes. And I love that you brought that up. And I can actually speak on some of my own personal interviews that I've done with professional athletes. And to your point, right, with the whole Aaron Rodgers thing and him wanting to talk to people like myself or like an Aaron Rodgers or I'm um, like an Aaron Rodgers, sorry, <laughs> or like a Joe Rogan or somebody like yourself, right? Because we're going to have them have their own voice and we don't have a specific narrative. Like we're not trying to spin something and have it come out in a news story and twist their words around. We're simply yeah. just trying to have them come on, share their story and their journey, and it's real and authentic. And that's what I pride with my podcast. So to your point, when I used to cover live sports events or live charity events for these athletes, it was funny because you would have me and my good friend Emma at these charities, and you would have like the big name 
TV stations from Boston, like all lined up, like ready to ask them questions. And a lot of it was like, oh, well, you're heading into the Super Bowl. Like, what are your predictions on the Super Bowl? <laughs> or they'd be asking about Bill Belichick or all these like stupid things that had nothing to do with the charity that they were there for for the night. So you would kind of like see these athletes. They didn't know who we were. We were just like cute little girls on the sidelines, but they heard us asking questions about their cause, about their charity, about their families. And that's what they wanted to talk about. That's what they were there for. They weren't there to talk about Bill Belichick. They weren't there to talk about the Super Bowl that was three months down the road because the season had just started. We weren't trying to like start some stupid narrative and like cherry pick, as you're saying, off of a comment. We strictly were there to ask them questions about the event, about their families. And I do the same thing with my podcast now. I'm not trying to take somebody's statement and spin it around. It's like I'm literally just trying to give them a platform to share what they actually want to say yeah. and not and not like turn it into something that it's not. Exactly. You're welcome to stay for as long as you want and share whatever is on your heart. Um, as long as it's family friendly on this podcast, but there are other podcasts, maybe you don't need to be family friendly on, but I mean, good example of this. And I'm sure you, you might have, you probably do have some examples of this. Brian Erlacher basically demonized by the Chicago bears and the media here because of some of his political views, essentially. Well, Brian Erlacher came on this show like a few months ago and he had, he was awesome. He was 90 minutes and he just talked about everything and anything. And I mean, we didn't get into politics. I didn't want to talk about politics with him or anything like that. I want to talk about his career. I want to talk about what kind of stuff he enjoys. And like, there's a certain point where all of a sudden he just started telling me about all of his favorite movies and how he loves the show naked and afraid. And like, that's the kind of stuff that people are wanting. I think the future is bright for people like you and me, because we're, we're not going to, like you said, we're not going to say, uh, try to force someone into some kind of gotcha thing or put them on the spot for something that they may have said five years ago. We're just going to give them a chance to talk. And that's what he, he did. And I'm sure you have some good examples of that too. Yeah. And I like that you brought that up too, because to your point, if, and it's almost like, those people that have been in the spotlight and have had those interviews where they get ripped apart on air, you kind of start to see like a Bill Belichick. And I know I keep bringing him up because I'm from the Boston area, but whenever he does his interviews, it's very vague and to the point. He doesn't want to give out any information because he doesn't want it to be twisted in the media. And for somebody like me, I would never want to interview him because those are the types of answers that he gives. But in the same respects, I respect him because he gives the most basic answers <laughs> that way you probably can't twist his words around you know like if he just says oh yeah whatever like our offense didn't do well we'll work on it the next time um onto the Bengals. you know like if you give an answer like that there's really no way to like twist those words around um and if you try to get somebody like that on your podcast like the gentleman that you just mentioned they're almost afraid to talk on air because they're like oh my god it's like you have ptsd like wow what is what's going to happen? Am I like cancel culture, right? Like what's right. going to happen yeah. in my career if I say something wrong when in reality we're all human and we all have our own opinions. So both you and I try to give people a platform where you come on here. It's kind of like a safe zone. We're not trying to like get you to say something that you're not comfortable with. And I've actually had people where they're opening up kind of like where I am right now. And if they say something during the conversation where they want edited out and post, I have no problem. Hey, I talked about my family a little bit too much. Can you please cut that out? Right. 
I'll go ahead and cut that out because they took the time out of their day to come on my podcast. Um, and why should I have something on there that might make them feel uncomfortable? Well, it's crazy to me because th- there have been people who I've had on like Erlacher and I've had like a couple of people say, oh, you can't have him on. He's been canceled. Like you're going to you're going to ruin your career. And I'm just like, what happened to the media being the people that ask questions to people and letting people talk just because you have a conversation with someone doesn't automatically mean that you agree with everything that they say. It doesn't matter because we're not talking about that stuff. And what I think we're going to end up seeing over time is the people that are not afraid to get close to the canceled people. Those are the people that people are going to gravitate to. That's why Joe Rogan's podcast is huge. Oh, for sure. Like I don't really, and I know I hate to say it because I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast as much as I should. No, I don't um, either. I just, but I'm very like, familiar with him. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm very familiar with his podcast and I'm very familiar with the fact that he makes a lot of money doing it. So he's doing something correct. And I do like that he started off his career, I think on Fear Factor. Um, I think he was the host for that at the back in the day. And I know he does a lot of stuff with UFC or, or he used to do stuff with the UFC. Yeah, so he still does. Joe, yeah, he's a very talented individual. Um, and actually on, it's either Instagram or Facebook. I like to watch a lot of his like highlight clips. Um, and a lot of the people that are on his show are like conspiracy theorists or <laughs> actors. And they talk about like these crazy things like smoking weed and like mushrooms, <laughs> but it's like those topics that aren't widely talked about. And as you mentioned, people gravitate towards it because it's not just the hoity-toity media um, trying to like put out a narrative. It's people literally just talking about their lives and being real raw and authentic. Like one of my favorite podcasts that I enjoy listening to, aside from a bunch of sports ones, and I'll give her a shout out because she went to college in Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> you're probably familiar with it too. They call her daddy podcast. It started off of, as I like, haven't listened, but I, I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. It started off as like a very like raunchy sex type podcast. And over the years that I've been listening to it, it's turned into more of like a self-help podcast oh, and like a, a wellness that. podcast um and i listened cool. to uh lindsey bearer who actually i had on my podcast she's the granddaughter of well-known former he's now deceased of course yogi bearer the catcher for the yeah. new york yankees yeah um she has her own podcast and she actually talks all about um different topics like nutrition and sports training um, so there's like a number of podcasts that I do like listening to, and all of them are very real, very raw and very authentic. And you can tell that people aren't trying to push a certain agenda. It's just conversations kind of like you and I are having now. And that's the way I think media down the road is, is going towards, especially when you see things like TikTok, right? You see these little 15 year olds in the schoolyard doing these cute little dances. <laughs> and those 15 year olds are getting hired to do big name commercials like T-Mobile because they're real, they're raw and they're authentic. It's very interesting to see how all this stuff is shifting. And I mean, when did you decide that you wanted to do something in this area? Is this something that you were interested in as a kid? Did it, was it something that you developed as you got older? What, what is, how'd you get into this? So kind of like a long winded answer and let's see if I can <laughs> try to shorten it up. So as a kid growing up, I had zero desire to ever be on TV, zero desire to ever start a podcast. I mean, when we were growing up, podcasting wasn't really even a thing. No. Um, I grew up watching the Boston Red Sox, the Bruins, a huge sports fan again, growing up in Massachusetts. I have my degree in sociology and psych. 
Um, I went to Suffolk University. And coming up through college and when I was younger, it was weird. I would always have photographers reaching out to me being like, hey, like, you're really pretty. Like, can I do a photo shoot with you? So and not to toot my own horn, these are literal <laughs> words that I would hear from people like, hey, can we just do like a fun photo shoot? And I would kind of like shy away from it. Like, uh, I'm only five foot two. Like, where is this going to take me? <laughs> um, and people would always com compliment me on my personality and my looks. And I never thought anything of it at the time I was working at like CVS and um, I didn't really even know what I wanted to do, to be honest. And then flash forward, I started to do some photo shoots. And this is kind of an interesting story. One of my very first companies that I did anything live with, like live modeling or events, um, and shout out to Dave Portnoy at Barstool Sports. So for those of you guys that are listening, he's another one that I give credit to. Not only did he help sort of start my career a little bit, oh. but what he's done for his own career is like incredible. So shout out to Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports. I actually started off doing live events with him with like wow. five or six other girls. Yes. Um, he actually saw some of my modeling photos on social media. Again, he's also from the Boston area and his yeah. magazine started off in Boston and he was really into like the college crowd back in the day. And he still kind of caters to them now, of course. But um, Dave Portnoy sort of got me into wanting to do live events because I would be one of those quote unquote smoke shows that would dress up in the <laughs> cute outfits and like take the photos with the fans and, um, yeah, it went from me taking photos with um, photographers, so people like Dave Portnoy picking up on the fact that I was photogenic, I guess, and had a good personality. From there, it went to live TV shows. Um, I got casted for a number of TV shows. Which okay, sure how did about. that? How did that happen? How did you get out? And Are you the one? Was the first one you did, right? Yeah. So, actually, even before Are You the One. Oh. One of the very first TV shows I did was called, it was just a one episode thing. It was on MTV. It was called, Is She Really Going Out With Him? And at the time <laughs> I was dating some, I won't say the full word because I know it's PG, but like <laughs> D-bag of a guy. And the whole show was kind of like, how did this girl end up with this guy? So it was just a one episode thing. I think it was season three and we were the first episode. So it must've been really good. Then from there, I actually got casted for a TV show called... Oh my gosh. I forget the name of it, to be honest, but I can give you guys the synopsis. But it was me, ironically enough, trying to win a date with a celebrity. At the time, I didn't even know that that's what the TV show was. <laughs> but if you think of the TV show, The Voice, where you go out and you have the celebrities with their backs turned and you have to sing to try to get them to turn around and choose you to do the songwriting or whatever. This TV show, and I was like 22 years old, didn't know what I was doing, didn't even know who half these people were, but it was like Rob Gronkowski, Rob Kardashian, <laughs> some famous boxer and some other celebrity in these chairs. I had to like go out there in Los Angeles, California with the live audience, Jack, and be oh like, my gosh. hey guys, what's up? My name is Brittany. I'm college educated. I'm a big Boston sports fan. Like, this is the reasons why you should date me. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was saying, what I was doing. You had like one take to do it. Um, but I'm, like, I remember Rob Gronkowski like turned his seat around and, and the athletes, they were into it because I had like a spunky personality. Um, but it turned into that, into me being interested in reality TV. So I went and tried out for the real world, um, made it to the the final casting, but didn't actually get casted. In a you know what years. season that would have been? I don't remember. You know what year? What year was this? Okay, so it had to have been around 2012 or 2013. Because so that you could have that could have been Jessica's season. 
It might have been, actually. So I never got casted for the real world. Yeah. But what happened was a couple years later, or maybe it might have been a couple months later. I don't know the exact time frame. MTV reached out to me because they almost casted me for the real world. They reached out to me about Are You The One? And that's how that whole process started. That's interesting. So it's very possible. I, I mean, I think you probably, I think that was Jessica's season because they shot that in 2012. It aired in 2013. I'm not sure what season came after that. I can't remember what it was called. It may have been the season that Jenna was on. I don't remember. The, the skeletons. Por- I think yeah, she was that, on the skeletons. Yeah, season. was that the next season? That may have been the next season. I can't remember. But Portland, I can't remember either. Portland was on. I thought that was like the last really good season of the real world. And then it got a little different after that. <laughs> but um, yeah, you could have ended up on that season with Jessica. I don't know whose place you would have been in. Uh, cause they ended up taking Johnny Riley from Boston. He was the, so then they, they, he was probably the Boston person. They probably had someone else. If they had casted you, that would have been a male from a different part of the country. I don't know. Probably For sure. Like um, but yeah, that, that's basically what happened was they obviously chose other people for the real world, but kind of just like you guys listening. Um, if you're challenge fans, you probably know the story of Cara Maria. She's also from Massachusetts. She also tried out, I believe, for Real World, didn't make it, but then they called her for Challenge Fresh Meat. So um, that's another thing I'll give tips to my podcast listeners or Jack's podcast listeners, should I say. Um, (laughs) If you guys are ever interested in trying out for a TV show and if you don't make it, don't get your hopes down because they might actually, casting might keep you on their Rolodex um, and they could potentially call you. It's not a guarantee, of course, but they could potentially keep you on file for something down the road, which is what happened to Cara Maria, a number of other people, myself included. So I went on Are You The One? And then from there, obviously got casted for season 26 of MTV's The Challenge. It's awesome. I think one thing I'd like to add about the casting stuff, though, you got to have a good personality. Because I, I know I see a lot of these people on social media who are big Survivor fans, and they're like, whole shtick to get on the show is like i've seen every single season i know who all these people are and i'm a huge fan and it's like that's not a defining character trait that's going to get you cast on reality tv you need to be like britney who's clearly a very good talker very interesting uh funny charismatic like you got to have something to it you need to have maybe a story would you say that's the case no, you're 100% correct, um, and I, I can actually speak about that because lately I've been listening to, for any of you guys uh, that are listening that are fans of the TV show Laguna Beach, that was one of my first reality TV shows, docu- docu-series reality TV shows that I enjoyed watching when I was a kid up and coming in, in middle school and high school, and currently right now, um, Kristen Cavallari, who is also a WAG, um, kind of, sort of, because she's Not think, anymore. through a divorce yes, with Jay Cutler. <laughs> Um, but she, ironically enough, di- uh, dated and married and has a couple kids with a former professional athlete. Um, he quarterback. Jay yeah, Cutler. and he's very well known here in Chicago, Brittany. <laughs> there you go. So for those of you guys that are listening, you obviously know who Jay Cutler is. But anyways, to my point, her Kristen Cavallari and her ex-boyfriend, Stephen Coletti, were both on Laguna Beach together. And the reason why I bring it up is I've been sort of listening to their podcast and they talk heavily about... Back in the day, right, like there was no such thing as social media when we were on reality TV or it was just starting to come out. We had no agenda to be famous. We would just ask to be on a show because like what Jack's talking about, 
we have good stories, interesting characters, able to make friends quickly and not afraid to kind of like let it all hang out to to say yeah to say the least in the sense yeah. that like we're okay with being ourselves and we're comfortable in our own skin to some extent. So we had no agenda. We didn't want to be famous or anything. Nowadays and again Steven and Kristen talk about it, people go on these reality TV shows with the agenda of coming out with 100,000 followers on on Instagram and Facebook, starting a podcast. And it's like, people just put on this like fake show and fake face. Oh, and it's yeah. like, that's not what people want to see. They want to see real people. They, they want to see like real storylines and, and don't get me wrong. Reality TV to, is to some extent scripted and how it, things end up on the, the editing table. It's not all real to begin with, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, could you go a little deeper on that in terms of did you see some of that on your own experiences on the challenge and are you the one? Yeah, so not even just with myself. I guess I could speak with everybody with reality TV in general. And again, not to keep bringing up this podcast, but Laguna <laughs> Beach one with Kristen and Steven, they talk about this too where... It's okay. We've plugged like six podcasts already today, so we're doing well. Yeah, and I'm not even trying to plug them, but I guess it's no, just <laughs> it's just the fact that like I do listen to podcasts a lot. And Jack, yeah. I mean, I will start listening to yours when I go on my walks and I'm working out. I choose to listen to podcasts over listening to music. Um, and again, the reason why I keep bringing up this Laguna Beach one is they are talking about these topics where you choose these real life people, right? They're in high school, or in my case, I was in college. Um, we have our own interesting storylines and character development, and all of that is true to some extent. But then you have these producers, right? So say there's like a breakup happening. Those producers might force the breakup a little bit more and force you to talk about those topics a little bit more when in reality, in real life, you might not be talking about it as much, but they need to, for the viewer, get that storyline out. So Say Jack and I, say Jack and I were dating on a TV show, right? And him and I get into a huge fight and it happened off camera. They might want Jack and I to sit down and talk about it on air because we need to have that storyline on camera. But then when it comes to the editing floor, Jack saying one thing and me saying one thing might get twisted and flipped, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with athletes in the media or personalities in the media. So there is that you kind of like sign your life away when you go on a reality TV show where your likeness and your image can be used in any way, shape, or form, which is kind of scary. And when you're young, in your 20s, you don't even know what you're getting yourself into. So, yes, I did see some of that on my own reality TV shows. Some of it can be damaging for people. Um, I had to deal with the fact that I came out looking very clingy and very psychotic on my show because they kind of, like, portrayed me on Are You the One to be, like, this um, person that was chasing my love interest on the show when in reality that was only one portion of me being on the show the rest of it was me enjoying my time making friends like some of my castmates are actually coming to my wedding so like clearly i wasn't that crazy or that psychotic but in return right like me being portrayed in a certain way had me be casted for season 26 of the challenge where that whole show is about exes so it's like mtv portrays you in a certain way, but they have a method behind it because they always think to the future and they must have always been thinking, hey, we're going to integrate her and her love interest on the season of the challenge. So in some instances, it kind of bothered me being a young 20-year-old, seeing how I was portrayed, but then it worked to my advantage because then I got casted for another TV show. So like there's the flip side, right? Devil's yeah. advocate. Yeah. 
I think that's really interesting. I mean, I just had a good friend of mine, Stephanie LaGrosa Kendrick from Survivor. She was on a few weeks ago and we were discussing how in you'll you'll eventually watch some Survivor with your soon to be husband, Brittany. But on Survivor Heroes versus Villains on the first challenge, she dislocates her shoulder and they pop it back into place and they ended up editing it. So what ended up happening was she injured it while she was scoring a point. Um, in this challenge, it they edited it and they run these challenges multiple times. So like everyone does two or three heats, but we only see one heat from each person. So she won her point in the first heat and then dislocated her shoulder as she scored the point, which is really a boss move and a boss moment. Instead, however, they made it look like she got injured in the middle of a point or she ended up losing the point that she got injured on when she actually gritted through and won it. When then the second heat, she couldn't win it because she was playing injured. Um, and the reason why they we think that they did that was because she got voted out second. So they don't want the people to get too emotionally attached to this person, have this heroic story, and then just get cut down, boom, right at the beginning. If she lasted longer, then the the story would be, Stephanie's a warrior. Look at Look at her doing that. And I'm sure you could... Think of some examples like that that you saw on TV, stuff like that, probably. Yeah, exactly. And I can't really pinpoint like exact points where yeah. things happen. Because, yeah. Again, I was on reality TV, which is crazy to even think about almost eight years ago, whereas your friend that you're talking about now, it might have been more recent. So no, this was actually in 2010. Oh, wow. So she has a good memory. Um, or that could have been something that kind of traumatized her and that bothers her to this day if it sticks out on your memory that well. For me, it's like, yes, I, I remember being on the challenge and being on Are You The One? But things for me have kind of like, I don't, don't want to say faded out from my memory, but I think over time, especially when you're doing new things, right? Like, And I use this as an example because my dad, I recently went back home to Boston um, like two weeks ago. I was back home. I had my bachelorette weekend. I had my nephew's first birthday. I was doing a bunch of things. The reason why I bring it up is every once in a while, like you'll come into contact with either like an aunt or an uncle, or in this case, it was my dad. And he was bringing up like, like my softball days. Like I was a really big, I was a pretty good softball player, almost played in college. And it's sad because my dad will bring up like special plays that I made back in the day or specific <laughs> times at bat that I had. And I'm like, dad, like, I hate to say it, but like so many things have happened within the last 15 years since playing softball that I just don't really remember specific things and it's cool that your brain works in that way but like <laughs> i don't remember specifics so if you were to sit here and ask me like hey what happened on episode three of are you the one <laughs> or episode three of the challenge like i probably couldn't recall it unless i went back and watched the episode everything kind of just like melts into a melting pot because i've done so many other things in the last eight nine ten years you know absolutely and i just have a very good memory like people have said that it's my superpower that i can just remember everything and it, the the downside to remembering everything though is people think you're creepy sometimes like <laughs> why do you remember that <laughs> well your future wife i'm sure they're gonna appreciate that memory because you're not gonna forget her birthday jack you're not gonna forget <laughs> christmas you won't forget the anniversary so the good memory works in some good ways right <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah totally so that's a good point you mentioned this kind of influencer culture that permeates through reality television now and this is really interesting because we just discussed this a couple weeks ago we had rachel riley and janelle perzina from perzina from big brother who are a couple of big brother greats they've played six times combined between the two of them 
And we were discussing how that, in my opinion, is ruining reality TV. Do you feel it's a negative or positive for reality TV? So it depends how you look at it. So are we talking strictly just casting influencers to be on reality TV just based on the facts that they have a big following? Or are we talking about people like myself that started off real raw and authentic going on a TV show, now having a platform, but now also turning it into a podcast and social media influencing, which is what I do. So there's two ways to look at it. Yeah. So if you're looking at it, which which way or which angle do you want to talk about or do you want to talk about both? I guess what I'm trying to say for, I'll give you my opinion. The I'm not interested in a lot of these shows anymore because when you guys played the challenge, there was more love of competition. There were people who really wanted to play. Same thing with Big Brother and Survivor to an extent as well. There's just a greater, like, I think people, there are two things that are really influencing the game. And it's a one thing of they want to build their following, but they also don't want to be demonized by people on social media either. So I think they're really playing to the cameras, which you had made mention to earlier. And to me... That's not interesting. Now, there's always been a level of that that's always been there with reality TV. I mean, Johnny Bananas knows how to make good TV. He knows what to say. Wes is the same way. There are a lot of people like that. They'll play things up for the cameras. Um, but I think right now we're just seeing so much of people that are, and it's on The Bachelor too, The Bachelorette, where they've got some shtick, they're going to go to it, and... It just, it feels less authentic and real to me, at least. I can agree with that. And I will say, because I, I personally know, obviously, Johnny Bananas and Wes and people like CT from the challenge. With them playing up to the camera and their kind of like character development over yeah. the last decade that they've been on TV... I will say for them, it's a little bit different than the people yes. that are just showing up. Yeah, on TV. exactly. Yeah. Well, and the reason why I say that is right. <clears throat> these people, they're now in their like late thirties. Some of them are in their early forties, I think, which is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but they started off in that authentic world that we're talking about where there was no such thing as wanting to be famous on TV. You just went on because it was a fun experience. There was no such thing as social media when Johnny Bananas and Wes started off on TV. Now, over the years, they're kind of just playing into their character a little right. bit more because they've developed uh, a character, right? So that, in their case, I think it's a little bit different. Now you want to talk about, like, the Joe Schmo down the street that wants just to create a character and get social media famous. Mm. Then that's when it becomes not real and not authentic, and I don't agree with it. And to your point, I don't really watch reality TV as much anymore because of those reasons. I, If I'm going to watch reality TV... I'm more into like the docu-series type of shows and docu-series. I mean, I hard really knocks. like a hard knocks, even though I don't particularly watch that, but yes, like yeah. a hard knocks or lately I've been watching. It's um, I think it's, I think it's called in the fast lane with Austin Dillon. And the whole show is about him and his wife. He's a NASCAR racer. Um, and it's about, it's chronic or is that the word chronicling his him and his family's life on and off the racetrack right going back to jay cutler and Kristen cavallari they had a tv show at one point for a couple seasons it was all about their marriage and like wrapping up this football season and starting a family i also fully enjoy watching like jesse and jesse decker and eric decker at the time they he's a former professional football player at the time he was playing with the denver broncos she's a country singer those types of Reality TV style um, 
docu-series I'm into because it's less of them playing to the camera. It's more so them just showcasing right. their lives. Now you talk about The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. People, I think nowadays, not all, but some are trying to just get famous and have a platform to start like a podcast or something. So I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that there's a reason why a lot of people just like the challenge all stars, why that oh, is sure. resonating with so many people. Cause we want to see more of those OG authentic people. And that show just happens to be, not only is it more authentic, does it feel like it's just got a more fun vibe. Like I think a lot of these shows now take themselves a little too seriously and that show knows what it is and it just plays it up to the best degree in my opinion i love it it's great yeah and, and going off of all stars i can talk about it a little bit because mark long is a good friend of mine mm -hmm. and he has actually been on my podcast a number of times and uh so has tj lavin um yeah. and going off of what you're talking about about all stars being a little bit more authentic again 99.9 percent .9 of that cast on that show they started off in tv when there was no social media when they were just on there to be fun and have an experience like myself when I first started reality TV almost a decade ago, which is crazy to even think about. <laughs> um, scary, actually, to be honest with you. But uh, All Stars is all about living in the moment and bringing back the authenticity of the 80s, of the 90s, when these people were up and coming in their careers. They don't like the big, loud kabooms and like the special effects like, <laughs> yeah. that Mark Long talks about where the new seasons of the challenge, they have cars exploding. And he's like, bro, like you don't need to have cars exploding to make the show be any better. Like it's been on air for decades now. Like obviously the show is doing well. Like why do you have to add in all these elements? So I also feel like to speak for the producers, I feel like the producers are trying to just keep up with the times, right? So like these new producers are trying to keep up with like the kabooms and the, and the drama, because that's what they feel like people want to see when it might not necessarily be true. So I don't know. I feel for the producers because they try to be a step ahead of the game with what might be next up and coming. But a lot of people kind of just like the real raw, authentic content that started the show to begin with, which is what we're kind of talking about now. Yeah. Bill Simmons also from Boston. I don't know if he's someone that you ever liked his content or anything like that, but he, he's a Boston guy and he was doing a challenge podcast uh, a couple of seasons ago, last season I watched and he was talking about how it was like the someone who's doing all these like explosives and fires and all this stuff is trying to direct an action movie and like <laughs> show all the special effects that they can do in the challenge and pitch it to Hollywood. I mean, that could very well be the case. Again, I don't even really watch the challenge as much anymore, yeah, simply because if I do, it'll be all stars because yeah. you have John A on there. I think Wes has made an appearance. My people yep. that I grew up watching and or competed against myself are on those seasons. So those are the ones that if I'm going to watch, I watch those ones. Um, but yeah, it, there's a lot to say about reality TV yeah. and scripted TV and podcasts and the media. And I feel like we could talk about this for days. <laughs> but it's true, <laughs> Absolutely. though. Absolutely. Well, you got uh, so you did one season of the challenge, and I can tell you're a fan of the challenge. What surprised you the most about being in the challenge house compared to what you had seen on TV? Uh, for sure. So bless you. Um, which I know you're probably going to cut out you sneezing, which is fine. But um, did I not mute it in time? No, you did, but I saw you oh. put your head down, so I knew you were sneezing. <laughs> I mean, again, you're going to edit some of this out, so it's cool. No, I'll keep it. It's funny. <laughs> <You're> gonna... <laughs> 
keep it keep it authentic right keep it yeah. real raw and authentic um the difference is between me watching the challenge and being in the challenge house first off i had no idea i was going to be invited onto the challenge um i think our season was the very first season where they invited people from a different tv show other than fresh meat and also the the real world of course which is where they were pulling talent from so I had zero expectations about being casted on the challenge. So what happened was I got a phone call. Um, it was, again, I don't remember the time frame because this was almost a decade ago, which is crazy to think about. I got a phone call from MTV producers. They were asking me if I was available for a potential show. At the time, they didn't tell me what it was. Um, and what ends up happening is, and I'll speak for everybody that's on the challenge or that gets casted for multiple shows, when those casting phone calls go out, everybody starts like texting each other. Yeah. Kind of like I see pro athletes do it too. Like who's getting traded? Who's not getting traded? Who's going where? It's like this like unspoken rule of people that are friends, right? Whether you're a pro athlete or an actor getting casted for a movie or a TV show, everybody is friends with each other. So you start this like group text. So what happened was I didn't even know I was going on to the challenge until people from the real world started texting me being like, yo, I heard through the grapevine that like you guys might be coming on the show. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what are you talking about? Because again, things start getting leaked. So long story short, I didn't know I was getting casted. I obviously got casted. And the biggest differences between watching the show and being in the house is the pressure, right? Like you're this young 20 year old in this house. A lot of these people are veterans like Johnny Bananas. I think CT was on my season. And you have this automatic X on your back, one, because you're a rookie, two, because you're coming from a different TV show. And just the pressure, like I was thrown into multiple elimination rounds, which I hated at the time, but I kind of like it now because <laughs> even though I was only on one season, I have such a cult following from that one season because I was thrown into so many elimination rounds and I narrated a lot of that season. If you were to go back and watch season 26, a lot of that season was narrated both by Johnny Bananas and I. And by narrating, I mean when they cut to like the the individual interviews, it's a lot of me being like, yeah. yeah, so Adam and I went up against Johnny Bananas in this this round of the elimination. And like, and it shows us on the TV screen. So um, although I hated getting thrown into all those elimination rounds, I kind of appreciate it because I have a cult following, even though I only did that one season. <laughs> You're memorable. I mean, Brian Cohen is a guy who has a challenge podcast. And he's a good he's a good friend of mine. And I told him about a month ago because we were, we were supposed to do this podcast a month ago for those who are listening. And then I got covid and I couldn't talk for like three weeks. Um, I was like, I'm going to have Brittany Baldessari on from uh, X's Two, And he's like, oh, my gosh, always loved her. She was great. Like she just <laughs> had such a fun presence on TV. Um, and it's pretty remarkable because a lot of people who aren't on. I mean, you were on what, like six episodes like Again, I don't remember the exact, but yeah. you're probably correct. You, Somewhere between six yeah. and eight episodes because we didn't make it to the final. So you're right. Yeah, but you were on for a little bit and it was just one season. And a lot of people who have a similar arc really don't get as much screen time and are not remembered seven or eight years down the road. So I think that speaks to your presence on TV. And I kind of, um, and I guess I could throw this out there and share it out now because the seasons have already been recorded and long put out, but I actually got called for a couple other seasons. I almost mm. got casted for Bloodlines. My brother um, actually screwed me over. So in the running oh. were, yeah, I, I was very close, guys, to being on Bloodlines. What happened was my brother 
uh, kind of got into a fight with one of the producers, which we won't get into. Um, but he basically told, for lack of a better word, told one of the producers to F off. Oh. Um, and my sister at the time was in college. And he sounds like a Boston guy, doesn't he? Very, very Boston guy. <laughs> he just was, I don't know, kind of got into a little bit of a, a tiff with one of the producers. And then they tried casting my sister, but because she was... I think at the time getting ready to graduate college and she was in a serious relationship, they didn't think she was maybe a good fit. And I had nobody else to compete with me. So I never got casted, unfortunately. And I wish I could have done that season. And then I think I got called for one or two other seasons. But what happens is when producers start thinking of a specific theme for the show, sometimes they don't always stick with that theme. So although they might have had me in mind for two or three other seasons once they start casting and all these other up-and-coming talent they started pulling from big brother and whatnot i yeah. kind of got lost in translation and i think that's what's happened over the years but i do lightly throw out to mark long hey if you want me to come on all stars i think fans would enjoy seeing me on there especially before i get pregnant especially before i start a family i wouldn't mind competing on um the challenge again and ryan and i lightly discuss um depending on where we are in life and whenever he retires, hopefully it's not till down the road, him and I discuss potentially doing the amazing race together. So. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I would like to compete again, um, depending on where I'm at in my life, you know, on something. I think that would be really fun. And I hope he gets you on there. I think All Stars is going to have a nice life here on Paramount+. Plus. And honestly, it's it's been really interesting to me. All Stars seems more popular amongst the viewers than the current challenge i'm sorry i'm sorry mtv i'm sorry people who put out current challenge but i mean last year uh tv guy did like the top 100 shows on television challenge all stars was on there the challenge wasn't i mean i guess that speaks volumes where sometimes less is more right and mark and i talked about that where although these mtv producers think taking people from big brother and all these other tv shows and um throwing in all these explosions and all the craziness it's not what the show came up to be right that's like having another real world but taking the real world and throwing a bunch of a bunch of reality tv influencers or on there or tiktokers like i feel like it wouldn't be as popular as the random joe schmo that just got casted that's a farmer or <laughs> yeah the, the lawyer that that's going through a breakup and their mom's going through chemo like that those are better storylines than, hey, so-and-so is a really big TikToker. You know what I mean? Like, not to crap on people that are TikTokers no, yeah. or influencers. Right. Because, again, I myself, to some extent, am considered an influencer nowadays, right? So I'm not crapping on people that are You maxed out on your opportunity, though. You, you, were, you maxed out on your opportunity. You didn't go seeking. Like, I, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, but you were authentic on this show. You went and had a good time. You weren't trying to, you weren't going on there in 2014 thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to do something. This is going to change my life and give me these incredible social media opportunities because there weren't those opportunities. Oh, ex exactly. I went on there for the experience. I thought it was something fun. I think I myself at the time was, was going through a bad breakup and it was more so, Hey, I'm in my twenties. I'm already graduated from college. I'm not really ready for, for lack of a better word, uh, the real world, right? So <laughs> why not just like enhance my... To a different real world. To a different real world and enhance my life experiences. And I'm kind of glad that I went down that route because it led me to all the opportunities that yeah. I'm doing now in the sense of realizing that I enjoy TV, realizing that I enjoy creating content, realizing that having those fun conversations are more better suited than what I went to college for, I guess. I don't know.
Were you <laughs> were you on the same season of Are You the One as Dario? Um, Dario was not on my season. He was on the following season, but I do okay. know Dario and his twin brother because they are actually Raffy. both from Massachusetts. Oh yeah, that's right. So you have you talked to him at all? I had him on this show last year. He was a lot of fun. I really like him. I have not spoken to Dario in years. Um, him and I were friends for a while, but again, it's kind of just yeah. you keep in touch with some of your cast members, right? Yeah. Or or former or current cast members. There's like a handful. Like I still keep in touch with Jenna Campono and Zach yeah. once in a while. They're obviously married now with a kid and a kid on the way. Um, Simone Kelly is actually from my season of Are You the One and my season of The Challenge. She's coming to my wedding. Ashley Morgan from my season of Are You the One is coming to my wedding. I'm very good friends with Ryan Malady, um, who we actually lived together in uh, Los Angeles, California for a couple years, years ago. Um, so I do have friends that I'm still highly involved with, but there's some people that like you don't just keep in touch with like things right. phase out, I guess. He's killing it now though. He's got the home field lending mortgage broker stuff or mortgage lending is doing well. Awesome. I, I think a lot of our, I guess I could speak for a lot of my cast members. A lot of them have done well for themselves. So shout out to all of you guys. If you are listening, I've, I've had friends that started their own families, right. And they're getting married. Some of them started their own clothing lines. Some of them are in lending or they went back to college. Um, some of them are starting their own podcast or doing a multitude of things. So I feel like a lot of people, um, and MTV does a good job at casting people, right, that have these creative-minded minds to begin with, and they just kind of run with it now. And now you are killing it as the MC of the High Point Rockers, right? That's the team? Correct. So if you guys want to learn a little bit about the Atlantic League, I can um, give you guys yeah. some information strictly Let's from their it. website if you're interested. But um, the High Point Rockers are actually a professional baseball team. Um, it is an independent league partnered with the MLB. And if you guys are interested, you can feel free to look up the AtlanticLeague.com. But I'll kind of read some information for you so you can kind of get familiar with it. And to specify, um, so they're, they do they're partnered with the major leagues. But the teams are not minor league affiliates to major league teams. Correct. And I'm going to actually get into that now. Great. So let's we, go. Yeah. So we recently <laughs> entered our 24th season um, with the Atlantic League. So the Atlantic League itself um, is 24 seasons in the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball, the ALPB offers an open classification of play. It's the highest level of professional baseball other than major league baseball. Atlantic League players are highly experienced professionals having progressed through professional baseball development levels. So such as single A, double A, and triple A, more than 40% of Atlantic League players have major league service time. Atlantic League clubs pay players to win baseball games, not apprentice and baseball's developmental levels. Over 1,000 of the league's players have signed contracts with major league organizations and over 100 players have been transferred to major league baseball. The league averages more than 50 player contract sales to MLB organizations each year and over 70 former Atlantic league players and coaches 
are managers or coaches in MLB organizations. And one of my favorite parts about the league, although as Jack just mentioned, it is not affiliated with any teams in the MLB in the sense that, for example, we use the Red Sox. So the Red Sox have their double A, single A, triple A. The Red Sox triple A affiliate happens to be the, the Woo Sox, the Worcester Sox. They play out of Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, and that's the AAA affiliate. So these teams are not affiliated with any major league um, teams. However, they are partnered in the sense where a lot of the coaches, the managers, they're in contact with MLB, right? So if they're looking for a particular pitcher or particular infielder or whatever the case may be, it's kind of in the sense like a second wave of um, – I'm trying to think of the proper terminology, like a second wave of farm systems, you know? Yeah. Um, and the Atlantic League prides itself on creating fun and affordable family entertainment. So I will bring that up that I love the fact that if you have a family with three or four kids, you're not going to spend $200 to go to a baseball game, right? You still get to see the same type of talent that you would if you were going to a Woo Sox game um, or another double A, triple A, single A affiliate you can like buy a hot dog, get like a soda. We have dollar beer nights. Um, you can have like your four or five kids rent out a suite and not spend like a ton of money. Um, the other thing too that I love about this league is that it's very family friendly in the sense that you could show up early or stay late and these players are going to sign autographs for you. Not to say that Red Sox players or somebody in a big league affiliate won't, but they're more accessible in the sense that the... Um, the bullpen is right there. Like there's seats literally directly behind the bullpen where you can tap a player on the shoulder at times and wave hello and get an autograph and take like a selfie. Um, the dugout is right there where you can like say hello and talk to them about a game. Um, it just makes it a more fun and personable experience. And I, I, I love the Atlantic league or indie ball for that, for that reason. So I've actually never been to a minor league or independent league game because I live a little bit north of Wrigley Field and then the White Sox are down on the south side and the Brewers are really only an hour north. So I have three pro teams that are much closer to me than any minor league or independent league team. Now, there are a couple of independent league teams a little west of me, um, but I've always wanted to go. Actually, that's that's not true. I went to a minor league game last year when I was in Indiana. Um, but I will say from going to it, this was a single A game, I think. So it wasn't a major league affiliate, but there's a, I mean, like it was only like 10 bucks to sit right behind home plate. You get the whole ballpark experience. That's so fun. I know for a lot of people, if you're not a big baseball fan, part of the fun for going to a game is it's kind of like hanging out at like a barbecue or a picnic and you got something that's slow paced going on that you can watch and talk and have some good food. They normally have great food at these affiliates or independent league teams as well. Do you guys have any like signature food at high point rockers games? So that's a good question. And a good point that you just made where even if you're not like a baseball or sports fan in general, um, I encourage people to go spend that $10, right? Like if, if you're a college kid and you want to take a girl out on a date, right? Like it's a fun way to, instead of going to a movie, like, or just sitting down at dinner where it's yeah. more of like a business. You can't, you can't talk at a movie either. feels like I, I'd rather do an activity where you can talk to someone. Exactly. So like going to something like a baseball game where you could sit, grab a beer, grab some pulled pork or some 
Cracker Jacks and just kind of like sit and conversate. And it's more personable, like um, sitting next to the other person, talking about the game, getting to know the individual. Um, I think it's just like a great atmosphere for people that are sports fans. Like you have your diehard sports fans. Like I will tell you right now, the Rockers have like diehard sports fans. There's actually a Rockers fan club on Facebook, which I'm a part of. Um, <laughs> and you have the people that show up every day that go up, that know all of the stats about all of the players that know where they came from, when they started their career. And then you just have the people that are, they don't care. They're just there because it's a nice day out and they wanted to take their kids out. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like that sense of you have the diehard sports fan and then you have somebody that just wants to get some popcorn and a beer and 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 do something fun. So I think a minor league team or something like an indie ball game is an excellent way to, um, on a budget, have, have a good time out. Absolutely. So I wish there were more teams closer to where I live because I would totally go to more games, but I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll be, especially now with my new position as a baseball writer uh, with Sports Illustrated Fan Nation, I'll probably be doing a little more going out to some of these places and watching games. So um, what are you doing at these games that people, if, if people are fans of you and they live close to the stadium, if they want to come out and maybe they get to meet you too, potentially? For sure. So a big part of my job, along with we call them the hype squad, is the fan experience. So, again, having it be that like one on one, more of like an approachable atmosphere. And again, not to say that like the big league affiliates aren't approachable. Right. The biggest difference between going to like a Red Sox game where there's, I don't know, upwards of 20,000 or more fans versus maybe at max like an indie team only houses maybe 4,000 or 5,000 people at a time. So it's more of an intimate setting. So whereas the front office, you at any given time can bump into our general manager, who's amazing. Um, shout out to Christian Highmill. Um, he's awesome. Like at any given time, you could pop up on the concourse and you could bump into our president. You could bump into our general manager where the chances of that happening at like a Red Sox, a Yankees, game are highly unlikely because they're up in like a, a booth somewhere doing something. I don't know, whatever the case may be. Um, so I personally just like that intimate setting. But going back to what you were asking me originally, my job is to work alongside the GM, the president, our hype squad, and kind of have that fun fan experience. So all those games that you see happen in between innings, I'm the one that's going out there, getting the crowd hyped up, going up and talking to fans um, individually, getting kids to play these games. So we like to play Dizzy Bat. We have a game called Rocker Ball. We do animal trivia on the weekends. We have fireworks Fridays, which we're excited about doing tonight. Um, it's all about the fan experience and setting the tone for that intimate one-on-one -on -one time with both the player, people like myself, um, getting to shake hands with the GM. Um, and that's the biggest difference I see between a minor league, indie league, and also like the big leagues. And again, I don't even know if every independent team works like ours. I'm speaking for the Rockers themselves, of course. Um, but I just really like how our team runs things. Very cool. And one thing that I find that's very interesting about why I know we have a big baseball fan audience that is listening to this, primarily Major League Baseball fans. What I think is so interesting about Indie League recently is it's been at the forefront of a lot of changes that we're starting to see in Major League Baseball. I know that there are some 
uh, particular things such as, for instance, one thing is infielders have to stay on the infield dirt in independent league. And we're probably going to have that rule coming into major league baseball pretty soon because they're going to get rid of the shift because the shift is taking away hits. It's taking away a lot of exciting plays because nothing's fun about seeing the guy hit the ball right where he's hitting it, where it should be a hit. And there's some guy who's just standing right there because of the computer numbers say that he's going to be there. Um, So that's an example. What are some other examples of some of the things that, Indie League has been doing that's a little different from Major League Baseball. For sure. And I have some notes written up on it for you guys, because again, first off, I am no expert on Indie <laughs> League. I'm not intending to be an expert no, by yeah. any stretch. Um, I know that umpires and managers and coaches would be better suited to answer these questions. However, I have no problem yeah. giving you guys the basics on yeah, it. Yeah, just um, the basics. Yeah. So with Indie League, it is kind of like an experimental league in the sense that there are some things that they've worked on and that they are currently working on that may be brought up into the big leagues or the minor leagues, or they're just experimenting with it. So one of them is the pitch clock. Um, it's currently not in the Atlantic League. It's only an affiliated ball. And I currently can't confirm exactly what levels use it or not, but I do remember vaguely it being used in AAA last year because my fiance was with the AAA affiliate with the Seattle Mariners. So I do remember there being some type of a pitch clock. I don't really know exactly what that entails, but it is not being used in the Atlantic league. But again, that is something that is being tested out among different leagues, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. They are using it in minor league baseball and the games are like a half hour quicker. And I think what's really interesting about it is we, I don't think we have a problem with baseball being too long as a whole. Like, I think people like to say that that might be the case. If I go to a game, I don't want to have to leave a half hour earlier, but I think what we're getting as a result is more action. Stuff is happening faster. And if you are to go back and watch a game from the eighties, you'd see these pitchers, boom, back pitch again. It's, it's a much faster pace. At some point in the nineties, the pace extremely slowed down and there are some pitchers that work very very slowly and so I don't think it's a we have a problem with the games being too long more as we just want to get to the action and cut out some of the stuff in between um so it actually that's probably going to be coming to major league baseball in the next couple of years and I actually was resistant to it but having seen it play out in minor league baseball and how it's being, how it's working. I think that's going to actually be a positive change for the league. Yes, I am kind of interested to see out of all of these experimental changes that they're working with, what actually is brought up to the big leagues and what is brought up to the big leagues and what actually ends up sticking, correct? Because I feel, I feel like with the sports, with any type of career, everything is always ever evolving. Yeah. Um, you have players that are up and coming that are faster, that are stronger. Um, you got to maybe down the road, they might make the... F- push the fields back a little bit more, you know, like um, maybe they'll push the the backstop back a little bit farther. Maybe the bats will be made differently. Like everything is always evolving. And I think it's based off of like the day and age where equipment is changing, the day and age where players are getting faster and stronger, training are, is different. Um, and as far as like the pitch clock goes and the robo ump, which we'll talk about shortly and things like the, the DH, Um, You losing a DH after not having your pitcher stay in for the five innings. I think it's 
interesting to see these different rules because they're also trying to change the game maybe for up and coming generations where you have a game that has started. I don't want to say since the dawn of time. I don't know when baseball originated, but I'd say probably 1800s. like late 1800s, early yeah. 1900s, right? So with that, you have to evolve the game a little bit, kind of like we talked about earlier with MTV's The Challenge. These producers are trying to evolve the game a little bit and incorporate new things just like sports are. So yeah. I totally get it. If you want me, I can also speak about um, the well, role. I'll, I'll, I'll add something on that real quick. It's, okay. There's that line in Moneyball, adapt or die, he says. And that's what I think is happening. And I think baseball, one of the things that we've seen recently was – what they call three true outcomes, too many home runs, walks, strikeouts being your main plays in baseball. And fans want to see more balls hitting the gap, guys trying to stretch a double into a triple, sliding into third base, plays at the plate, stealing. Like that's a more exciting brand of baseball to the viewers to have constant action. So what did Major League Baseball do? They deadened the baseball going into this year. So now people are hitting less home runs and it's going to, put a premium on those contact hitters that put the ball in the gap and put the ball in play because, and also speedier players who can stretch a double into a triple. And I think that you mentioned, like, if we want to be evolving and adapting, like that's what I think the NBA should be looking into soon is we have so many three pointers. This is a three point contest. How can we change that? Because for me, it's ruined the entertainment product for me. Cause I like seeing it. Back when we grew up in the 2000s, it was a more exciting brand of basketball to me back then. For sure. And to your point with the whole adapt or die, um, I guess we could talk about that with any career in any genre of anything moving forward, right? Like you have to learn how to adapt to whatever the heck the atmosphere happens to be. And I think baseball is definitely one of them. And with the experimental leagues like the um, Atlantic League or indie leagues in general, um, I think it's a great way to test things out moving forward. And one of the big things was the RoboUmp, which I know you and I lightly wanted yeah. to speak about. So I remember last year, so Ryan got released from the Mariners towards the end of last year. And I vaguely remember, because he was only there like a handful of games towards the end of August, beginning of September, from what I remember correctly. And by the time that I got back from road tripping across from the state of Washington, which took us like five or six days, nonetheless, I started going to the games and I thought it was interesting seeing the robo ump. So basically it's a, exactly what it sounds like. It's a robotic ump and you have the umpire still standing behind the plate, but then you have, I don't know how they're even getting the footage. Like, I don't know if it's like something in their ear that's telling them whether it's a ball or strike. I don't know the logistics of it, but I do know that the robo ump is supposed to help almost be like a second set of eyes that helps call balls and strikes. However, I don't think in Indy League they are able to go against what the RoboUmp says. Now, I've seen this year with the Rockers, they don't use a RoboUmp. So now I believe it's being used, tested out in AAA, potentially AA. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not positive. But it started off in Indy League, and now it's being tested out in the minors. Again, I don't know exactly what levels. Um, and my opinion on that whole take is it's man versus machine, right? You're always going to have some type of error, whether it's the machine or the actual yeah. umpire behind there. And there's never going to be a perfect ball or a perfect strike or whatever the heck the case may be. You're always going to have a fan complaining. You're always going to have a hitter complaining because nobody's perfect, whether it's the, the umpire 
or the machine itself. But I think it's cool that they are testing it out. I don't know if it's going to make it to the big leagues or not. And Jack, what do you think about it? I think that I, I, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I, I do think it's good to try it, but I think that we do want to maintain some kind of human element to the game and to the sport. And like you said, you know, the, the machine's not always going to work properly. If we can get a machine that works 100%, well, maybe we entertain that. But I don't know. I mean, I also think that there's some umps that are just way better at calling balls and strikes than others. So, like, there's a one umpire that I won't say his name, but people probably know who I'm referring to, who has a very poor reputation as an umpire, especially behind home plate. If you don't believe me, go watch some of John Boy's videos on John Boy Media. But with a guy like that, why do they have to call? Why why do we have to let every ump be a home plate umpire? That's that's kind of my thing. Like, let's just promote the people who are better at the job and pay them more. And then if you're not, you know, there's a way that the, there are checks and balances to see how these things are, how these guys are doing. If they're not doing a good job at calling balls and strikes, they we could still use them as umpires because we need umpires. I'm sure they could do a good job on the base pass or in the outfield, but I don't think we should have those umps behind home plate the same amount of time as we have the really good umps behind home plate. So that's a good take as well. And I don't really know how they go about selecting their umpires, of course. I don't obviously they probably have to go through schooling and they probably work their way yeah. up, maybe college. And there and there are unions that protect umps, so like there are some guys that they just can't really get rid of. <laughs> Which I, I kind of understand. And I guess not to, and again, I don't know who you're speaking about. We don't have to name drop, but if there's an ump that's been an umpire since, I don't know, the 90s, right? The game and the style of the game has played. So maybe that umpire that once was good behind the plate maybe might not be good anymore because one, his eyes are aging. So like at the bare minimum, your eyes start to go. So maybe they shouldn't have the job to begin with. Um, maybe there needs to be like rules where like you get your eyes checked out. I don't know if that is a rule, but then two, like with the game evolving, as we're talking about, maybe those umpires that once were good behind the plate aren't anymore because rules, regulations, the hitters are different. The pitches might be thrown a little bit different. Maybe they, they can't see the ball as well, both, physically, mentally, and I'll say emotionally, right? Because it is an emotional game. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know. Again, I'm no expert on umpires. I'm no expert on yep. calling balls and strikes. But I do know, as we've been talking about with the game changing, using something like a robo-ump, I don't know if it'll make it to the big leagues. And again, man versus machine, there's always going to be some type of an error, no matter what we do. And um, I'm glad that there are umpire unions if there are, because that helps keep those people jobs. But as you mentioned, if somebody's not calling balls or strikes properly behind the plate, maybe you can move them to a different position um, on the field. That way you don't have people wanting to throw peanuts at you because you keep calling <laughs> um, a strike a ball. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What do I know? I'm not an umpire. <laughs> I don't. The thing that I don't like is when a ref or an ump does a good job, they never get credit for it. You, They only hear it when they do a bad get, job. And most of the time, they're really good, like 80%, 90% of the time. But if there's one bad call, that's what everyone remembers for the next week. Yeah, they just get reamed out. I mean, same to say a pitcher can have 15 good outings, right? Um, but they go in and they have a really terrible outing. 
what's going to be talked about on the news, uh, the sports news for the next three weeks. Or same thing with Tom Brady, right? Any but any good athlete, you go out there, you can have, you can have like an amazing couple of games under your belt. You go out there and you have a bunch of picks or you're not throwing the ball properly or your team loses multiple games in a row and you're the quarterback or whatever the heck the case may be. You're going to hear a lot more about the downfall and the negatives than the positives. Yeah. And that's just news and sports. They always try to uh, pick apart the bad stuff. I don't know why, because I feel like yeah. you get more, more stories out of like the positives, but Hey, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, that's really interesting. In addition to the automated strike zones, aka robo ohms, which by the way, it's not like there's a, a robot behind home plate that could you imagine, by the way, if if there was like a robo ump, like Robocop, who the manager, instead of running out to argue with him, he just like inserts some kind of chip and puts a virus on the robot or something like that. <laughs> I mean, as scary as that sounds, that could be something that happens in the future. Like I could see 20 years down the road, there might be robo umps. Yeah. I mean, I hope not because as you mentioned, I like to see the human element. Um, and it also, people have this argument with anything with like self-checkout and stuff. It gives people a job, right? It gives people a creative outlet. So if somebody as a kid playing baseball and they really want to be an umpire when they get older. Um, so again, not to crap on these umpires that are um, in the big leagues, the minor leagues, the college, good for you guys, right? Like you chase your dream, you're doing the best that you can. And with the game evolving, things happen. But if you have an actual robo ump down the road that takes away a, a child's dream, like it takes away a job from people. It takes yeah. away the union. Like yeah. I am kind of against it for that right. simple reason. And I do like the human element of it, you know? So in addition to that, there are a couple other things that are being tried out right now. Number one, there's this designated hitter rule uh, that I believe you made mention of. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it works like this. So if your pitcher comes out after before finishing five innings, he's got to pitch into he's got to throw full five innings. If he does not, the pitcher comes out, then you lose a designated hitter spot in your lineup. So the DH that you have in that game is done. So now you have eight in your lineup instead of nine. Basically, the thought behind this is to incentivize having your pitcher go deeper into the game, which is something that I think we all want to see more of because the game is becoming much more relief pitcher oriented. And we want to see like... The Pedros from when we grew up. Pedro! Going Woo! into the eighth inning. We don't want to yeah. see him going out after four innings. Exactly. So to your point, and I could touch upon that shortly. And again, I'm no expert on indie ball, and I'm not <laughs> trying to seem that way. No. However, at the start of each indie ball game, and I forgot to mention this, there's actually a video played at the start of each indie ball game. Um, it's played on the Jumbotron, which um, I'm actually thrilled that it plays because I shoot a lot of Jumbotron and YouTube content. Aside from doing live stuff, I'm involved in the other side of things for the fan experience like the Jumbotron. But at the start of each indie ball game, especially at the Rockers, there's a video played of Harold Reynolds. Apparently, he's a former big leaguer and current analyst. Yep, he's And great. he actually explains the experimental rules. So at the start of each game, Jack, this video was played before the game even starts. It's like, hey, guys, I'm Harold Reynolds, and I'm about to um, explain some of these experimental rules. And he talks about the pass ball rule, the losing the DH, all that stuff. So 
Um, it's good that they have that video played. That way people kind of understand what's about to happen in the game. Because again, some of these rules are slightly tweaked and or different than a minor league game, a college game, or a big league game. So as far as losing the DH goes, I can lightly talk about it. I did run it by my fiance to make sure that I had the proper terminology, <laughs> but it sounds like you kind of hit the nail on the head. So it's supposed to be an incentive to allow the starting pitcher to go deeper in a game and not be pulled before they see the batting lineup for the third time. So my fiance tried to explain it to me where through analytics and through watching batters and hitters going up against pitchers that um, they started to see, and I don't know what types of analytics, again, I'm no expert, but after seeing the batting lineup the third time around, something happened where I don't know if it's the pitcher getting frustrated or the batters are starting to connect with the ball more. Again, I don't know the logistics of it, but managers and pitching coaches apparently started to want to pull their pitcher after the starting pitcher seen hitters go through the lineup three to yeah, four times they don't yeah they don't want them to see they uh, analytics are the studies show that the third time through the order after the pit after the lineup has seen the pitcher twice the third time through batting average jumps up exponentially which kind of makes sense because again you're seeing the pitcher you already you're a professional right so you know what their pitches look like you have a good eye for the ball so after seeing the same pitcher throw the same pitches as a batter, right? You're a professional. You do this for a living. In theory, you should be able to connect with the ball or put the ball into play a little bit better after seeing them throw the ball a number of times, especially in one game. So to that point, as you mentioned, and as Ryan kind of told me, it's supposed to be an incentive to allow the starting pitcher to go deeper in the game to eliminate the use for the bullpen, correct? And Ryan mentioned to me that this rule was created prior to there being a universal universal rule in the MLB for a universal DH. Yeah. So that's where Ryan and kind of, and other ball players, not just him, are kind of wondering what's going to happen in the big leagues, the minor yeah. leagues, and indie ball because everything is so all over the place. So what is to happen, right? What is going to be sticking? The last one that is very interesting, and I remember talking about this a few years ago when 2019 was when a lot of this stuff first started coming into the Atlantic League. And they've done... Uh, just a lot of stuff. I'm going to have to talk with Ryan at some point to go a little deeper on some of this stuff. Cause it's so interesting. But one of the things that a lot of people were like, huh, that's, that's interesting. That's odd. Was this idea that a batter could steal first on any past ball. The guy could just run and take off her first instead of not like, that's not something that's ever happened in baseball. You have to get walked. You have to get hit by a pitch. Or you got to get a hit or an error. But this is like a new idea that you could steal first as if you could steal any other base. So that's something that exists in the Atlantic League, right? So they have something essentially called the past ball rule. And again, Harold Reynolds discusses this at the beginning of the game in his little pre-tape video. Again, it's an experimental... I love Harold, by the way. He's great. Shout out to Harold. Um, and it's an experimental rule where if a pitcher has a wild pitch, the hitter then has the option to run a first base for a possible base hit. In my opinion, due to the fact that it's not being used in any other leagues, including affiliated ball, most players are not using the experimental rule to their advantage. Um, 
we've seen it not be used that many times in indie ball. And again, in my opinion, it's habit forming, right? So habit forming for a player. So if you're using this over and over and over again during a game and you get brought up to a big league affiliate or you're a college kid that has never seen this done before and you're all of a sudden in like an indie league for a little bit and then brought up to a big league, in my opinion, unless it's more widely used outside of like experimenting, if it were me, I wouldn't want to develop that. I would call it, for lack of a better word, a bad habit, because then you think you can do this in a big league game and then you're going to it's frowned upon because it's not an actual rule. So in my opinion, if this is turned into something that's legitimate across all leagues and it's not just an experiment, I feel like it shouldn't be counted as a base hit. But it should be counted towards your on-base percentage, right? Because you're technically getting on base. I feel like there, and this is my take on it, if it does become a legitimate rule across all leagues and it's no longer just an experiment, do not count it as a base hit, but create a completely different term for it, whatever that happens to be. Um, yeah. Have it be its own stat, right? But yeah, then also it count would, it towards... Yeah. Also have it count towards your on-base percentage. And the reason why I say that, right, say Joe Schmo gets up to bat. And every single time he's up at bat, he's doing this um, pass ball rule. He's not actually getting hits. And he has an astronomical batting average. That doesn't make sense. He's not actually connecting with the ball. So for me, again, this is my take on it. It's cool if they want to start using it across the leagues. I get it. It's an experiment. But please don't count it as a base hit, you know. And then also... Count it towards base on base percentage, yeah. but have a completely different terminology and a completely different stat. Jack, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think it would essentially be a stolen base, right? I mean, um, maybe you maybe you have a differentiator between now you differentiate between stealing second and stealing third or stealing home versus stealing first. They could create some kind of other term of stealing first, kind of, but it, it would count towards stolen bases, and it would be like a walk or a hit by pitch in terms of it would count towards OBP, but it wouldn't be those things. So you're essentially creating a whole new statistic. Which something, I yeah. I think they basically need to not call it a base hit because that's what they're, I think, alluding to the fact really? that in Indy League. Yeah, that's why that's weird. Like they're counting it as a base hit. Like the pass wow. ball rule, I believe, is considered a possible base hit if this happens. So that's why I'm saying as an experiment, I get it. They're experimenting with it. But if it gets moved to a big league affiliate or any affiliate or college or wherever the heck they happen to use it, there needs to be a different terminology for it, a different stat yeah. for it. And yeah, like it just needs to be looked at in a different way and not be considered a base hit or stolen base. I don't know. I don't have know. You, have you seen it happen in person? Have you seen it ever happen? I personally have not seen it happen, and I actually asked Ryan about it. I think since he's been playing in the league for the last season or so, I think he told me he's only seen it happen once. So it kind of goes off. And again, not to say it's not happening amongst other teams. Again, I'm only speaking based off of the Rockers and what I've been right. seeing and yeah. Ryan and his experience. Um, so it might be happening all the time in other teams in indie ball. Not sure. But for me, if I were a player, I wouldn't want to develop that habit of doing so because if you're brought up to a different league or a different team and you go ahead and do that, you're it's either going to be frowned upon or you're going to be thrown out or something bad's going to happen because it's not 
it's not a universal rule yet. It's just experimental. So I feel like a lot of players kind of teeter-totter between should I do this because technically I can do it in my league, but if I develop this habit and I go elsewhere, I don't know if I want to be forming this habit because I'm not allowed to do it anywhere else. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a weird topic to talk about because it's not universal yet, if that makes sense. Well, it's also interesting because there, if people aren't going to try it, then they aren't really able to test it. And if they aren't really able to test it and see, then it probably isn't something that we're going to see at the major league level, at least not anytime soon. Maybe, maybe there's some team that has some weird advanced analytics where the coaching staff is like, okay, this is our thing. Anytime it gets past the catcher and it rolls to, they'd have some kind of way to do it, but we're going to be the team that does that all the time. And then some team succeeds and then other teams perhaps copy that model. And then it starts to spread contagiously through the independent league, which I don't even know if this would even work that way. If a coach or staff would even go in that direction, but if something like that were to happen, then they'd be able to test it a little more and then we could maybe see it at another level. But I feel like if we're not able to see how it's working, then it's not something that we're going to see anytime soon. No, I agree with you. It's one of those things where eventually a minor league affiliate, right, is going to have to test it out for maybe even spring training to see how it pans out to see if if it could potentially be brought up into a big league like there has to be if it's an exper- if the indie ball league is being used as an experimental league cool all the power to them you have to try new things out somewhere right and i get that but if it's never going to be brought up and tested out in a minor league affiliate or in college or in the big leagues eventually the, they might just completely axe the idea but yeah. going off of what you're saying at what point do they start implementing or testing these out and i think maybe during a spring training they start testing it out in the big leagues and the minor leagues in college just to see if people even like it or want to do it, you know? Well, this thing is so different from the automated strike zone or not the automated strike zone, the pitch clock, because even if major league baseball doesn't ever adopt a pitch clock, which by the way, fun fact, for those who don't know, it's in the rule book that a pitcher must throw his pitches every 12 seconds. The umps just don't implement it. A lot of people don't know that. Um, with the pitch clock in the minor leagues, it is habit forming. It's like, okay, so it's if this gets to the major league level, they're just going to pitch faster even if, I mean, in between pitches, they're moving quicker. I got my baseball here, by the way. I, oh, I'm, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm bodily kinesthetic person. So um, anyway, boom, back, boom, back, moving quickly through the lineup. That's the kind of habit form that you see. The habit forming of having some weird thing where they run to first base is it where it's something that's not possible. That So, like, let's say some guy does it 20 times in a minor league season, gets brought up the next year. So he's in AAA, he does it 20 times, and the next year, all of a sudden he's in this habit, as you talk about habit forming, of wanting to do that. If he sprints down to first base, everyone's just going to look at him like he's crazy. I'm just going to say, go back. That was ball one. (laughs) You're not moving to first base yet. Exactly my point. And that's why I think eventually it needs to be turned from an experiment into more universally implemented as like a practice run. That way 
players like we've been speaking about, we'll call them player A or player X, right? Starts off in an independent league right out of college, right? They form this habit and now they're brought up and they're drafted or something to a team, which actually just recently happened. I'm actually going to be getting him on my podcast. Not to say that he was doing any of this past ball rule stuff, but one of the players was right out of college, got picked up, um, to be with the Rockers. He's a pitcher. And then he recently got drafted in the most recent draft to the White Sox, right? So say that player was not a pitcher, but he was like a fielder that was batting. And he picked up on that bad habit for the month or two that he was in the, and I don't want to call it a bad habit for lack of a better word. I will say it's a bad habit because it's not implemented. So he picked up on that habit while playing for that month or two in indie ball. Now he's going to the White Sox right out of college still learning things, picking up on habits. Now all of a sudden he's going to the White Sox and he does that. People And he now he has to reverse that habit, yeah. right? Because not being used. So not, again, and I'm not yeah. trying to say changing the game is a bad thing and implementing new rules and experimenting is a bad thing. I'm all for it, trying out new stuff, right? We're evolving and they're trying to advance the game. But eventually these experiments need to be implemented and be more universally used that way these players aren't getting switched to different teams or different leagues. And as you said, being joked about because they have to run back to um, the batter's box to hit because that's not an actual rule anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Brittany, we got to wrap up here shortly. I could talk to you all day. This has been great, but I also want to touch on, you said something that just, I've been wanting to talk about since you mentioned it early on, but we've kept moving along. The early 2000s Red Sox. 2004, Red Sox win the World Series. Do you remember where you were? Oh, my gosh. That's such a good question. Um, I don't remember exactly where I was, but I'm almost positive I went to those or that parade. So, like, back in the early 2000s, that was, like, up and coming, not just the Red Sox, right, but, like, the Patriots yeah. started winning. Like Tom People Brady was with the that team. The Patriots were terrible for a really long time. And then they had the best coach and the best quarterback ever come in at the same time. Exactly. So I feel like the early 2000s for me um, were key, not just for the Red Sox. I remember skipping school to go to the parades and sitting on top of my friend's shoulders because I'm only five foot two and being able to. Um, witness history, right? And picking up the confetti. If I can go back in time, I wish I saved some of the confetti that they leave on the, the streets. But those are some of my fondest memories are being able to watch the Red Sox games, go to Fenway Park, go to Gillette Stadium, um, go to a preseason game, um, also attend, skip school to go to a parade. Um, I actually was trying, Ryan, my fiance, is a big Braves fan. That's the team that he grew up watching. And he, I tried so hard to get him to, I forget what we had planned, but I wanted him to kind of skip what he had going on to go to the most recent Braves championship parade, because that might be a once yeah. in a lifetime opportunity. Right. Um, and I was like, babe, like you gotta just, we gotta just do it. Like it, it's, it's your team that you grew up watching and let's just do the seven hour drive to Atlanta to, to go to the parade. It's, we never ended up going, but for those of you guys that are listening, if you ever ha have the opportunity to go to a uh, championship parade, I highly encourage it. Pull your kids out of school. Um, go get lunch. Make it a whole day. Like It's an experience that they will never forget, for sure. I have a sad story. Uh, now I'm less of a fan because I'm a baseball writer. I try to be more neutral and objective and 
But I, I like to say 2016 was my graduation from fandom when the Cubs won the World Series. And the Cubs, very similar experience as Red Sox fans. 108 years without a World Series. They win in 2016. I had this like really mean professor who made me take two tests the next day. And then the day after that was a parade. And this is when my body was just absolutely falling apart from graves and I couldn't really do anything. So I couldn't go, but I was like, you know what? Cubs are going to be good for a while. They'll probably be back next year. Maybe a couple of years from now, they're going to win another one of these. Nope. Did not happen. So they will win one eventually again, but it could be, you know, 20 years from now. It could be 50 years from now. I'll go then if I'm still doing well. But <laughs> <laughs> if our bodies are still holding up. Yeah. Can't, can't you know, who knows? But then the only thing that's funny, 04, I remember hearing Matt Damon talk about this on Bill Simmons' podcast. And Matt Damon is an extremely knowledgeable sports fan. And he loves the Boston teams. And he was like, he was doing something with some family uh, the day of the parade. And he was like, just so he got away from his family for a little bit. I think they were going out on a boat or something like that. He snuck away and like kind of watched the parade from a distance, just sitting on a bench. And he just started crying. He's like, oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. Red Sox did it. I love to hear that. But again, it it kind of goes to the point of if you get the opportunity to watch it on TV, watch it live, the Red Sox might not win another World Series for another 50 years. I mean, we hope yeah. not, right? Or the Cubs might not, or the Yankees might not, or your team that you grew up watching might might not ever win a World Series. And if they get that opportunity to to do so, and you, you're alive and you're well, go to the parade. It's an experience that you will never forget. And this is coming from somebody that I myself had the opportunity, like the luck, right, to go – I grew up in the era where my team's uh, Boston strong, right? Like the city of champions. Yeah. Like I have been to multiple parades and yeah. I regret it. And I will do the same for my kids. I can't wait to have kids where Ryan and I, if Ryan's still playing, I put my baby in the Jersey and take them to the games. Or I, I even said to Ryan recently, of course, we're going to bring them to the major league affiliate teams, like the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Braves, whatever, um, a Patriots game, but I will for damn sure be supporting like the minor league teams, the indie teams. I'm more, I have more respect for these leagues having learned about them through my uh, relationship with my fiance and working with the team, like how cool these leagues actually are. And, and they're not widely talked about. I will be bringing my kids for that $5 hot dog in the $10 ticket right behind home plate versus spending $500 at a, at a Yankees game. So um Moral to the story is live life, enjoy the experiences. Yeah. If you get the opportunity to go to a game, do it. And I don't fully remember where I was during the 2004 <laughs> World Series, well, but pretty sure I was at the parade. <laughs> in your defense, they've won so many championships. I mean, they won four World Series, six Super Bowls, right? Six? Yeah, six. They won six. Six under with Tom Brady, correct, I believe. Yeah, they hadn't won any before that, though. So they've won, they won six, four World Series, an NBA championship and a Stanley cup since 2001. So that's like an incredible run. And Cara Maria won what two finals on the challenge on the challenge. And yep. CT's won five or however many he's won and Boston Rob has won survivor. So 
We had a lot of talent coming out of the Boston area to sum this all up. I mean, I like to count those as Boston championships, too. I mean, they are for sure, right? Like whether you're a reality TV competitor, um, putting it all out on the line, like jumping from Mack truck to Mack truck or you're Tom Brady, like in a Super Bowl, like you're still athletic and you're still a competitor. Brittany, uh, how many wins do the Patriots get this year? Do you have a you have positive outlook on the Pats going into the season? So it's hard to say, right? Like over the years, and I hate to say it because I'm a big Tom Brady fan. Um, I if Tom Brady does, I know he said he's out of retirement, right? But who knows? Yep. Because I'm who knows what's gonna happen. The season hasn't officially started yet. But I personally would like to see Tom Brady win one more Super Bowl. Okay. I think, in my opinion, this is his last season. He So you're rooting for the Brady more than you are rooting for the Patriots at this point in this Correct. season. Okay. Correct. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, obviously through and through, yeah. and it's cool to see the new up and coming quarterback, of course, and how the team's evolving because you have people like Julian Edelman retiring and all those players that I grew up watching are no longer playing or they're switching into coaching roles or doing other things, right? Like they're phasing out kind of like we talked about the Johnny bananas, the CTs, the car Maria's Jenna Campono, over time, you phase out, whether that's age or you're starting a family or getting married, whatever the case may be. I'm still a diehard. I grew up watching Tom Brady. Um, I think I was in middle school when he started. I still have, Jack, an original, I think, like, Boston, it might have been the Boston Globe. That's one of the local newspapers in the Boston area. I have an original cutout, Tom Brady holding up the Lombardi Trophy, I think from, like, 2003 or whatever, <laughs> one of the first... Oh, uh, two was the first Super Bowl. So it might have been oh, two, whatever the first one that he won. I have a cutout from that. Like I've saved it. And just growing up watching him throughout high school, throughout middle school, and now into my 30s, like I am rooting more for Tom Brady to win his last Super Bowl than what the Patriots are going to do this season. I hate to say it, but uh, Tom <laughs> Brady through you. and through. And I and yeah. I loved his docuseries. Um, Man in the amazing. arena. Man in the yeah. arena. Yeah, man in the arena was incredible. So for those of you guys that haven't watched it, shout out to Man in the Arena. It was very well done, and I hope that they do more episodes of it. She's Brittany Baldy. She absolutely killed it today. She's got a great podcast called The Boss Babes, and I would love for her to plug it before she leaves. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, if you guys are interested, it's the Boss Babes, short for Boston. So it's spelled B-O-S-B-A-B-E-S. It's a lifestyle sports podcast. Um, it, you can find it on iTunes and Spotify. I mainly have on other wives and girlfriends. It's simple conversations, kind of like Jack and I are having right now. Um, I do have on a lot of professional athletes and of course reality TV competitors because that's my background. But a lot of it is uh, you get to know the athlete off the field, a little bit on the field. Um, the wife and girlfriend angle is one of my favorites because you get to hear um, what they do, right? When they're alone with the kids while their husband's on the road for two weeks at a time and they want to pull their hair out because they are making breakfast, lunch, and dinner and they're kind of like a single mom. Um, it's, it's an excellent podcast. People tend to enjoy it. And I've been kind of branching out where I'll probably have Jack on my podcast, have him talk about his experience um, starting his own podcast and um, working alongside Sports Illustrated and being a creative-minded individual. I recently had on a female pilot um, who owns her own airplane, and she's putting in her her miles to potentially uh, fly commercially. Um, so I'm kind of like branching out in other ways where it's – I like to call it a lifestyle sports podcast because it's not X's and O's. It's very lifestyle, very fun. And you might see Jack on my show um, in the new year. Hopefully. I'm up for it, Brittany. So just let me know when. 
<laughs> we'll have to seriously. I want to pencil you in, um, probably more so in the new year. I'm about to yeah. be wrapping up my my yeah. guests and filming because of the wedding and such. But yeah, um, in the new year for sure, I'd love to Absolutely. have you on there. Sweet. I mean, I'm a little busy right now too, getting started with this new job. So it'll work out cool. It'll be fun. Uh, and your social media is what? How can people follow you? So simply, again, the podcast is just at the Boss Babes B O S B A B E S. Same thing for all of that social media. If you do want to follow that social media, you can go ahead: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I don't have any TikTok. Um, I haven't branched out to TikTok. I do not have. Um, Contrary to partner belief, I do not have Snapchat either. I got rid of that a long time ago. Yeah. So if you see a Snapchat using my name, it is not me. Um, nice. And as far as my personal social media, it's simply just at Brittany Baldi, B-A-L-D-I. Um, and that'll all stay the same even when I get married because people have known me for so long. I, I will be legally changing my last name, but as far as social media handles and such go, it's just going to stay the same. I mean, you see that with like a lot of well-known personalities yeah. like Jenny Dell used to uh, work for Nesson and the Red Sox. She's married to a baseball player um, or a former Red Sox player, Will Middlebrooks. All of her social media is still at Jenny Dell. And I plan on doing the same because last name will change legally, but social media is going to stay the same. Yeah. You <laughs> understand how marketing and branding works. Some people don't. For sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, this was an absolute blast, Brittany. And I look forward to coming on your show at some point. You're welcome back here anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jack. Best of luck to everything. Um, sending you good vibes with your health. And I'm so happy that you got a job with um, SI. And I can't wait to talk about that on an upcoming podcast episode with me. And maybe Ryan or maybe Ryan and I can both come on uh, yeah. your podcast in the future. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you. Chat soon. All right, y'all, that does it today for our conversation with Brittany Baldy with the High Point Rockers. She was on MTV for a little while and is a baseball wag. was great talking with her. Uh, really interesting conversation. Really enjoyed her time. Um, so you guys should definitely follow her and check out her podcast, especially if I'm going to go on it. So when I go on it, I'll make sure I let you guys know. I'll talk about it on this show, and I will also post it on social media. I made mention of this. People might not know. I did get a job with Sports Illustrated Fan Nation as a full-time baseball writer for their website, Fastball. I'm the lead writer now. So I'm doing a lot of baseball writing. You guys can check that out. Um you can find that link on my social media. I've been tweeting basically every article that I do out now. Um, and some people might be finding this show through, I am able to post this show onto the website. So we'll probably be getting some new listeners and viewers here, which I'm very excited about. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the Jack Vita show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, subscribe and you will get a notification whenever there's a new content available that I created. In addition to that, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jack Vita Show for all three, and then youtube.com slash Jack Vita. Until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs>